Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This episode is sponsored by Galaxy Gear Boutique. Galaxy Gear Boutique creates clothing that is out of this world. Everything is 100% handmade by Amber. You can get things that are already made like infinity scarves and head wraps and scrunchies, or you can order fandom clothing that is 100% made to order. Amber also recently launched Nebula Niceties, which is pop culture and bookish merchandise for all. You can follow them both at Galaxy Gear Boutique and at Nebula Niceties LLC to get the fandom merch of your dreams. Before this week's episode, we want to take a second to thank a couple of our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a super important platform for us at The Sartorial Geek. It's basically the way we fund everything that we're doing. So we appreciate everyone who has gone to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek and chosen a reward that helps us do things like keep this podcast going and keep our website up and running. So this week, we want to thank Chris, Hannah, Rhea, Victoria, Nat, and Narzara, we appreciate you so much, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey, welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I'm Jordan Denae, and today I'm here with another Jordan, Jordan Thomas. Hello, how are you? Hey, Jordan. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good. I was so lucky that you sent me over all of the comics ahead of time so I could read them, and I am so excited to talk to you your stories are so good. <laughs> like They're so good. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's really nice to hear. Have you been doing comics for a long time or is this sort of a new thing? I studied script writing for film and TV at uni and I actually did a little bit of comic writing around that time. So I'm 33 now. So that would have been like 12 years ago. I- We're the same age. So yep. <laughs> yeah, I did a few like short things and I worked with a few friends, but not in kind of a serious way like that was before kickstarter and things like that so the idea of how you could kind of publish stuff didn't seem super possible back then so then yeah i kind of just went off and did other writing stuff for a while and then about four years ago i saw other friends were doing the the kickstarters for releasing their comics and that there were more kind of publishing options open now and that it was quite a cool way to actually get your stories out there as opposed to like a film which the world of getting films made is an absolute nightmare whereas with uh, comics you kind of just need a, to find a talented artist who's happy to work with you and you're off that's awesome obviously it's different but i guess like for writing for comics you write a script similar to the way you write a film script so that's cool that it's adapt i mean i know it's different but that's a cool skill to have that you can like adapt project to project Yeah, they've definitely got quite a bit in common in, I guess it's both like visual storytelling. I guess the big difference is a film, you use a lot of kind of music to set the tone, which you don't have in comics. And comics, you're always kind of working to those page turns, trying to make sure all your your big moments like happen on the left-hand page so that you don't spoil it. You know, you can't kind of rely on people to really focus on one page and not kind of scan across to the other one when they turn over. So that's always kind of a big challenge with comic writing is to really make sure it flows in a way that kind of gets the most drama out of it for the reader. I have never thought about that in my life. That makes so much sense, but I have never thought about totally if you spoil something on like the page across. That's a yeah, bummer. Like, if someone's going to get like 
killed very suddenly, there's a big surprise, or a in Frank at Home on the Farm, one of my series at the end of the second issue, without spoiling it for people, Frank gets a surprise visitor. And um, if you saw who that was before kind of getting to the moment, it would be kind of spoiled a bit. So it's kind of about trying to keep that stuff so that, yeah, it's like a real kind of shock moment when they flip the page over. Yeah, let's talk about your comic. I feel like that story is so full of surprises and yeah not to spoil anything but can you give everyone like a an idea of what that story is about sure so frank at home on the farm is a four issue series i head out through scout comics and it's about a man returning back to his family's farm after having fought in world war one so it's kind of set around 1920 1921 but his family are completely vanished when he gets there. So his mother, his father, his brother are all just gone. And there's only really like the animals still remaining at the farm. But it kind of feels like the farm has been being lived in. So it's all very strange. He goes off into the town to try and find if anyone knows anything. But everyone seems kind of a bit confused and a, a bit vague about everything. And yeah, I guess it kind of, with uh, World War One, there was a, obviously a lot of death and often whole towns of people like the young men would all go all over from one town to kind of form like a, a regiment and so if that regiment got wiped out then that was kind of like a whole generation of the town could be gone so it was quite a kind of disjointed time anyway and yeah I guess we play on that with the mystery and the horror and the tension. How do you describe your style? Because it's like dark and mysterious and is horror like the right word? It's so specific. Yeah, your stories all have like a similar vibe. Oh, well, I guess I try and although I definitely like kind of the horror and the sci-fi angle, I try and have a little bit of variety in the types of stories I tell and that Frank's definitely like a very dark comic it's like the darkest thing i've done definitely and it's very kind of psychological and a lot what's going on in frank's mind and some quite kind of vicious violence in there as well as trying to have a few kind of slightly like not exactly comedic but like so strange that it's funny moments as this person's kind of confronted with this mad situation but then something else that I've done, like, I don't know if you had a chance to read Quarantine, which was like a one shot story. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like different, but also kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got like dark moments, but it's a bit more silly and over the top, I guess. Like, it's definitely a brighter comic, like just thinking of the kind of color palettes, because obviously like the artist is so hugely important. And uh, Clark Bint, who drew Frank at Home on the Farms, a uh, incredible artist who loves like really tiny detail like there's pages in frank where it's just kind of dozens of panels close up on lots of objects in a room and things like this and he definitely kind of skews quite dark with what he does but then in quarantine it was a different artist drawing every single page of one story so i kind of tried to mix it up so you had some violent dark moments but drawn by an artist who does quite kind of bright bouncy happy art so it kind of contradicts a bit but yeah definitely quarantine was meant to be a bit more kind of over the top and silly in some of its kind of approach and a, a bit more bright yeah let's talk about quarantine a little more because that was such a cool project that was kickstarted right yeah yeah everything i've done because has been kickstarted because um scout picked up frank after it'd been on the platform that's awesome 
So how did you decide to do that? Because I know like quarantine hit a lot of people differently and it was a very interesting time for creatives. And that seems like such a cool project to focus on when like there was not a lot of great stuff to focus on. It seems like such a, a like a good place to put creative energy to make a really cool project out of it. Yeah, I guess that's pretty much it, really, because that did start. I live in the south of Spain. Um, I'm English, but I moved here like four or five years ago. And we went in to lockdown a little bit before kind of a lot of other places. And so I just kind of noticed on Twitter, like a lot of the artists that I are in my kind of world, like in the small press world, they seem to, they'd been um, furloughed from their jobs, maybe they just had some extra time on their hands. They were doing things like drawing a page of Daredevil as if they'd been like brought on as the artist of Daredevil. Here's what my take on Daredevil would be like, or lots of other kind of sketches and passing stuff between each other over social media. So I kind of thought, okay, so maybe people have a bit of time because a lot of making comics is kind of matching up people's schedules together. And it seemed like for the first time, people actually maybe had more time than they had work to do. So I just approached kind of a core group of artists I really like and gave them the basic idea of like doing a story all together and having a different artist on every page. And a lot of those guys, people like Russell Mark Olson, Gustavo Vargas, Donna A. Black, Martin Simpson, they're like very kind of respected within our world of Kickstarter and, and small press stuff. So I knew if I could get those guys on board, then it'd be really easy to get other artists to join in as well. And then it just kind of snowballed a bit, getting more and more artists involved. And um, we ended up in, we're taking the pinups and the cover into consideration. It was, I think, um, like 34 artists all worked on the book in the end. Yeah, it's just basically we're all in lockdown. Everyone was kind of trying to deal with what was going on. And so we decided to make a kind of project that took advantage of us all having a bit of spare time. And although it's called quarantine and it's got the kind of locked in aspect as it's a family where their whole apartment building gets quarantined off in another reality for a reason that they're not told. So it definitely plays on the suddenly being kind of trapped in a very small space with your family or your roommates or whoever. But we kind of stayed away from anything pandemic-y or anything too bleak on that front. So it's kind of a more fun, kind of crazy take on the situation, I guess, of being trapped together as opposed to anything too close to what we've all been going through the last year and a half. Yeah, that was so interesting to read now because like at this point, it's a little over a year ago. So it feels like there's some separation. But like as soon as you dive into that story, I felt like I remembered like, oh my God, I can put myself back on like day three of, okay, we're really doing this. Like the people who I live with are the only people I'm going to see. And yeah, I think you did a great job of picking up on all those things we were all feeling, but then not having it be so real that you're like, okay, I don't want to actually think about this anymore. Like the sort of sci-fi mysterious element of being in a different reality was a nice way to take that that isn't too hard to think about. Yeah, I guess it kind of go it becomes kind of an extended metaphor for being kind of stuck together in these unusual situations and plays on a lot of the kind of more the human drama side of kids getting stressed at each other and husband and wife getting stressed at each other and the weird kind of arguments about nothing that can spring up when you're pretty much sharing the same space for maybe 23 hours out of the day. 
it was very impressive and props to everyone who worked on it and you know you for putting it together. It's so good in a way that I imagine pulling that many different artists in such a hard time, like having it all work really well together. Like as you're reading it, it feels like it's different artists, but it doesn't feel like disjointed. It's really impressive and everyone is so good. Like it's a really beautiful book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that came in a lot of the reviews I was really happy with, was that people did feel like it flowed because it would have definitely been easy to kind of feel quite disjointed. I think in terms of the credit, the artists in it are all fantastic. So we had that and probably the best decision I made was to kind of have it separated as being like day one, day two, day five, day 10. So it was kind of all individual scenes, every page. So each artist was only kind of dealing with one kind of um, self-contained moment of the story instead of it having to kind of be like a conversation where halfway through the art style completely changes or something like that. Yeah, that was such a smart way to do it. And you have another Kickstarter that is over, but that is like going to production now. Is that where it is? It's like going to print soon? We just got the final kind of digital proof over today. So yeah, the digital version will be going out to all the backers soon and then we're off to print. But yeah, that's called Weird Work. And that's with an artist called Shaky Kane, who um, I don't know how familiar he is to everyone in the States, but he's quite a kind of famous, cool um, kind of cult artist, I guess, over in the UK. He's worked for 2000 AD and Deadline. He's had a few series out with Image, and he even did a bit of work with Grant Morrison on um, the Doom Patrol series back in the, I don't know if that was like the late 80s, I think. But yeah, the kind of basis for what the TV series has kind of taken on. But yeah, he, uh, Shaky's amazing. Like He's kind of like a psychedelic Jack Kirby. So all his figures are quite kind of blocky and bulky, but everything's kind of mad. And so the idea for that one was I, I really, I worked with Shaky for the first time on Quarantine, and I want, and I... I kind of, he didn't get the most exciting page because he was one of the later people to come on. And I felt like I really wanted to give him some stuff to draw that really took advantage of his like amazing talents. So I just wanted to create a world where he could go crazy, really. So it's a, uh, it's a detective story, kind of like an LA confidential or like a classic noir type story, but set just in another galaxy or whatever, where everybody, there's not a single like standard human person in the whole comic. So it's all crazy characters, bizarre looking people like for the whole cast. So it pretty much just gives Shaky free reign to draw whatever he wants. That's so cool. I love how, I mean, this makes sense with comics, but I love how much the artist that you choose affects what the story will look like. And I guess, like we were saying earlier, like when you're using film, you have all these different elements, but when you're writing a comic, it really is like the writer. I mean, I guess the editor, but the writer and the artist. It's really cool to see how different like your stories look depending on who's putting it together. That's awesome. Yeah, I always as well try and if not right for the artist, then like finding an artist whose style really matches the book is always kind of a key consideration. Like when I decided to work on Frank as my first kind of major series, I immediately thought of Clark and luckily he was available. And I don't know if Clark hadn't been available, if I'd have necessarily pushed on with it at that time. And like I said, weird work, I literally wrote for Shaky. So that whole script was written with him in mind. And the same for my other series, Mugshots, which is a, a more kind of traditional crime story. 
that's uh, with one of my best friends, actually. Like we've been friends since we were 11 and he was always just like... A, that's so cool. Yeah, it's really nice. He's, an, I mean, he's probably one of the most talented people I've ever known. Like he could do amazing kind of perfect portraits of people, but also quite cartoony style. Like his day job is, um, is designing characters for a Sesame Street kids TV series that's on, <laughs> that's I think so it's on the cool. way. <laughs> Which is such a different vibe from the story that he did. Yeah. And he pretty much just said he'd really like to have a go at doing a comic. And I was like, oh, what kind of comic would you like to do? And he's like, oh, I don't care anything. And then I gave him some kind of ideas. And he's like, okay, no, I do know. I don't want to draw anything that's kind of too sci-fi. And I don't want anything with too many characters in it. <laughs> so I was like, how about like a crime story? And he's like, okay, that sounds good. So yeah, again, with him, like I'm writing, knowing his style and, and what he kind of wants to draw. And I definitely think you get a better kind of end product out of that than trying to kind of force someone to adapt their style for the story. And that's cool too, that that's like the opposite of the way the quarantine book was, because that was like a billion different, I mean, not a billion, 34 different artists. So that's cool to see like both ways where the story is written for one person and then one where a bunch of different people put the story together. Definitely. I guess quarantine is kind of like an, a catalog for artists. Like if anyone's looking for an artist for their comic, then it's kind of worth picking up as it's a bit like going to like, um, I don't know where you have in America, we have Argos, which has like a, it's like a sells everything type shop that has a catalog where you just look through and it's got whatever you want in there. This is kind of like the artist version where if you're looking for a new artist, you can just flick through and see who matches your story in there. That's such a cool idea. I didn't even think of that, but that makes so much sense. That's so awesome. I don't know anything about like, what's the comic circle like in Spain? Is there a big community there? Or are you mostly connected to like artists in the UK? Or what? I really don't know much about like what's happening in comics in Europe. Uh, Yeah, Spain's got a huge comic culture, like the little kind of city that I'm in, which is uh, not a particularly big city or anything it's got like five comic book shops here wow yeah europe's really into like treating it as a they have like a lot of respect for it like it's lots of hardback collections and really it's not kind of looked down on or anything like that and so yeah no they've definitely got a really good industry going on here i don't know personally too many people i've worked with a couple of spanish artists on some shorter anthology stories but they were guys that I found on the internet. They weren't people that I kind of knew from being around the city. But like the guy who's drawing Batman at the moment, I think it's Jorge Jimenez is his name. Like he's from Granada, the the city that I live in. And no way. So you've got some of his like original art hanging up in from when he was working on Justice League in one of the shops here. And there's loads of other really talented people around here. And Spain in general has yeah a really good industry out there. Definitely like a big love for the medium. That's so cool. And that's also nice. I know like not everyone feels like comics are respected as like art. Sometimes it's sort of looked down on as like a childish thing, which I think we're getting away from. But that's really nice that it's like perceived differently with respect in general. I'm really happy. That's great. They haven't got like, whereas English speaking countries immediately, we go to kind of the superhero stuff, which, you know, I love loads of the superhero stuff. But certainly when it originally came out, it was designed for kids. Whereas a lot of the stuff that you get in Europe is kind of more mature stories anyway. So I guess they maybe never had quite that same association of like graphic storytelling equals for children. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So if people are listening and they like want to read your stories, where is the best place for people to find you and like how to buy your comics and how to see which Kickstarters you have coming out? So on Twitter, I'm Jordan underscore J underscore Thomas. And so, yeah, whenever I've got a Kickstarter, my feed pretty much just becomes me promoting that for like the month that it's on, driving everybody mad. (laughs) So uh, yeah, once you've bought it, you can just kind of mute me (laughs) for the month. And then yeah, I'm on Instagram, which is a good place for seeing the art from the comics as Ampersand1988. And I think you can just follow me on Kickstarter. If you search Jordan Thomas, I'll be on there as a creator. And yeah, as I said at the beginning, if you like the sounds of Frank at Home on the Farm, which is kind of a David Lynch, Stephen King, David Cronenberg type messed up psychological horror story set just after World War One, then that should be in all good comic shops, or you can get all of the issues either physically or digitally on Scout Comics web store. So if you just Google them, then that's pretty easy to find. Awesome. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes too. Thank you so much for chatting with me. This was so exciting. And like I said, I love your stories. So I hope everyone listening checks them out, especially if you like sort of creepy thriller things. I think you'll be really into it. And it was so nice to meet you. Maybe someday I'll see you at a Comic-Con when they happen again. (laughs) I'll keep an eye out for Kickstarters. That's really, really cool. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. It's been uh, really fun chatting with you. Yeah. Hope to find you somewhere (laughs) in a happier time in the future. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. If you want to hear more like this, you can subscribe to the Sartorial Geek Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or a review or head to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye.